following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Um, so I'm going to do something uh, pretty different from what I usually do this morning. And um, the way it's going to start out is by having a few folks who've, who know who they are <laughs> um, read out when they're asked <laughs> a couple of key verses from today's lectionary passages. Um, now, let me tell you why I want to do this. Uh, what I found a few weeks ago when I began to sift through the readings for today's service was that there's a really interesting trend in the passages. Now, that happens a lot if the editors of the lectionary are doing their job, which I assume that most of the time they did a good job. Oftentimes, the passages kind of mesh together thematically, right? However, in this case, it really doesn't have anything to do with the thematic elements connecting to each other, but rather something that I noticed, which is that each one of the passages from the lectionary readings for today has something in it that's kind of like a way in for me to do something that is one of my favorite things to do as a pastor, which is to teach people how to read the Bible. Now, uh, sometimes my job is to teach people what I believe the Bible says and means, and then after that, what it might therefore ask of us as the community of God's people gathered here as a church. That's one of my jobs as a pastor. I actually have more fun usually doing this kind of thing, which is not so much telling you what to think about a, a verse or a passage or a book of the Bible or whatever, but rather how to understand it so that you can do some of that work on your own in a new way and maybe a deeper way. And the biblical texts for this week just so happen to offer us a few really interesting opportunities to consider how to read the Bible and how not to read the Bible, because that second one is sometimes more important than the first one. And so we're going to have verses read aloud here in the room, and I'll have you actually use the microphone that we used for the the prayer uh, requests so that people on Zoom and Facebook can hear, and so that everyone else in the room can hear a little better as well. Um, and you may, uh, you may recognize the verses because we've had some of the readings already take place in the service, right? So if you were paying really good attention, you might already be able to sort of place it where it, where it came in the different passages. And so what's going to happen is after each one of these little verses is read aloud, um, I'm going to offer some thoughts on how we might go about interpreting that verse and applying it uh, to our lives. Again, not so much what I think it means, but rather how you can figure out what it means. All right. So um, who has the, uh, the reading Isaiah 58, 11? All right. I'm going to ask you to take the mic. You don't have to come up to the front. You can do it right from your spot there. And then when you're done, just um, turn it off, and then I'll have you pass it to the next one when, that, when it's time. So this is uh, Isaiah 58, 11, right? Okay, good. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, If you were going to put that verse on a poster that you were going to sell in a Christian bookstore, what picture would you put behind it? Would it be, I don't know, what I have in mind is, again, I don't want to tell you what to believe, but about the poster, I will. Um, (laughs) 
I'm picturing like an orange tinted sort of desert scene, but there's an oasis there, right? Anybody else getting that vibe from Isaiah 58, 11? Isn't it nice to think that the Lord will guide you continually and will satisfy your needs in parched places? Isn't it nice to think that the Lord will make your bones strong? <laughs> that you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail? Uh, however, <laughs> yes, it would be, right? That, that was a rhetorical question. Um, I don't, sometimes I don't need the answer to be shouted out to me. Um, <clears throat> but was anybody in the room when Isaiah 58 was read earlier? Let me just give you some of what comes before verse 11. <laughs> um, Announce to, the people, to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. <laughs> they seek me day after day as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness. And then there's all that business about fasting and why you fast. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. All the stuff about loosing the bonds of injustice. Remember last week when we were talking about how sometimes the prophets uh, of the Hebrew Bible speak out against the people saying, like, your, your way of worship is not the way to do what God wants. You actually have to care for people who are in need. Isaiah goes on sort of in this, thus says the Lord kind of vein, really just tearing the people of Israel apart tells them what they actually should be doing is caring for all of the people who are poor, homeless, naked. And only then does the prophet say, then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. If you offer food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness. And then we get to verse 11, the orange-tinged poster in the Christian bookstore. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. So what does this little verse have to teach us about how to read the Bible? <laughs> well, maybe a few things. One is that it's maybe not as fun as it's made out to be. But also... As I said last week, that, that one verse might not be the correct dosage of this particular medication. Right? And it, it, it would be very possible to put that verse, verse 11, on a poster, a beautiful scene. You'd probably sell a lot of them. But it wouldn't necessarily be true to the meaning of that text where it came from. That's one of the ways not to read the Bible, in my view. By the way, it's going, you're going to hear echoes of this again next week, not from the prophets, but from the book of the law, from, from the book of Deuteronomy, uh, where Moses basically tells the people, like, you have an if-then situation here. You have option A and option B, and they both have predictable results. So choose the one that you want to choose, but this is how it's going to go down. That's what Moses says to the people on the brink of the promised land, and we'll look at it next week. All right, so that was Isaiah 58.11. Um, only one way to go from here. Let's read out... Who has Psalm 112? Oh, not too far down the road. That's good. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Happy are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in his commandments. 
Their descendants will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Thank you, Don. Okay, Psalm 112. The lesson of Psalm 112 is this. Step one, follow God. Step two, profit. (laughs) I mean, it it says it right there. Happy are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in His commandments. Their descendants will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. I want wealth and riches. In my houses, actually, I'd only have one. I would like to have houses. <laughs> <clears throat> step one, follow God. Step two, profit. Uh, maybe an oversimplification. And we're all chuckling and have a great, having a great time with it. And then there's, there's people who are literally profiting from this verse, not by obeying God and getting the, the money that comes with it every time you do it, because that's baloney, but by telling other people that's how it works. And oh, by the way, the best way for you to obey God is to send money to my ministry. <laughs> You've got to put fuel in your Bugatti somehow. <laughs> That's a car, yeah. I think so, anyway. <laughs> I mean, I just see it in a crossword puzzle sometimes. I honestly have no idea. <laughs> Here's the thing. The flip side of this teaching, which is there in the psalm, right? we've got to do something with it. The flip side of it is also often in the psalms, and the prophets, and the law. And the flip side of it is, If you don't follow God, you're going to end up poor, needy, uh, 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 experiencing destruction and desolation in your life. And here's the thing. Sometimes the Bible says that, and other times the Bible is a a song where someone's like, why are the wicked profiting? (laughs) Why are the righteous bowed down and grieving and in mourning? And the thing is, both of those sentiments are to be found in the Bible. One thing you can do when that happens. It's not the only thing. It's not going to solve every, question, every problem you have or answer every question you have. But one thing you can do is find out more about this passage. So Psalm 112, I mean, the Psalms are a little bit tricky to do this with because we don't always know where they came from, who wrote them, when they were written. Sometimes they're attributed to somebody, but that's not always precisely reliable. Uh, But, you know, the Psalms were the the prayer book and the song book of the people of Israel who have a very long and complicated up-and-down relationship with God. So, in other words, there's songs been written about every single moment in their history. And if you can figure out which moment was happening when the song was written, you can understand it a little bit better. You can apply it to your life maybe a little bit more. Because if you're reading the psalm of somebody that was somebody wrote when they were having the, like, the mountaintop spiritual experience of their whole life, and you are way down in the valley, that is really painful. And it kind of makes you want to take the Bible and just fling it. On the other hand, if the waves happen to match up, you might be 
inclined to think something like, well, I have a little bit of extra money. It must have been because I did the right things this month or the opposite. And I, I would encourage you to think a little bit more critically about that. And you don't have to throw the Bible away when you experience that cognitive dissonance. You can wrestle with it a little bit longer, and, and I'm not going to say that you're always going to get it figured out. But the work of doing it is, is, you know, spoiler alert, half the point. All right. Um, by the way, that's, that whole uh, concept that you often find in the Psalms that I described is called retribution theology. <laughs> Uh, and personally, I don't like to build my theology around the idea that God is retributive, but uh, there it is. Uh, okay, let's go to the New Testament, uh, a.k.a. the Christian scriptures. Does somebody have Matthew 5.20? Now, there's two of them from Matthew 5, so who has Matthew 5.20? All right, would somebody bring the microphone to Angela? Thank you. Um, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? You want to get to heaven? You have to be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. <laughs> okay, this is just one verse, one sentence, and there's so many things to unpack that I'm probably going to go over time just on this one. Just kidding, I'm going to go really fast. First of all, what's the first thing? If you've been with me for a while, you know the first thing I'm going to say. What's exactly or close enough? You said, what's the therefore, therefore? It's actually not therefore, but it still works. What's the for, for, right? Um, here, I'm not going to do the work, but when you see a word like that, it, it, your brain has to go, okay, what's connecting that? What's, what's being connected to this next idea? What is he about to say that's connected to what he just said? Okay, that's, that's thing number one. We're not even going to go down that route. What about the word righteousness? The whole point of the verse, if we wanted to take it as one verse is your entire theology, which I do not recommend, but if you wanted to, if Matthew 5.20 is your entire understanding of the gospel, and what it says is, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You need to know what the word righteousness means. That's kind of an important part of the puzzle. Don't you agree? Right. We've talked about this before. Um, righteousness and justice are different words in English. They're the same word in Greek. And I'm pretty sure in Hebrew as well. So, first of all, don't try to separate those. <laughs> um, but that would be me telling you what to think. I'm supposed to be focusing on telling you how to read and how to think about this. But if you don't spend the time unpacking a, a word that is so crucial to understanding the sentence you're reading, you're going to have a hard time applying that to your life. Right? Similarly with the scribes and Pharisees. What does it mean, whatever righteousness is, what does it mean for it to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees? Who are they? Well, we could look it up and find out. You might have some idea. It might be right. It might be wrong. It might be some right and some wrong. But you could spend some time with the scribes and Pharisees and what their righteousness looked like in order to understand what Jesus might be teaching us here. By the way, this is Jesus talking. That's, <laughs> that's also a really kind of like thing number zero is who's actually talking in this sentence. And then you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, what does that mean? That's kind of crucial to the understanding of this sentence as well, isn't it? 
And if you were raised in a church like I was raised in, you have a very clear picture of what it means to enter the kingdom of heaven. It means one very specific thing. It means to get to the place where God is after you die. The good place. Not the TV show, but the actual good place. Is that what Jesus had in mind when he said this? might want to get an answer to that question before you start interpreting and applying Matthew 5.20. By the way, bonus points, because in all of the other Gospels, the authors tend to use the phrase kingdom of God, and in Matthew's Gospel, he uses kingdom of heaven, and there might be a reason for that as well. But I'm not going to tell you what it is just now. 1 Corinthians 2.15. Who's got that one? And can you get the microphone from Angela before you read it? 1 Corinthians 2.15. First <laughs> um, Corinthians two fifteen: Those who are spiritual are subject to no one else's scrutiny. Okay, a nice short one. Thank goodness, this will be easy. First Corinthians two fifteen: Those who are spiritual are subject to no one else's scrutiny. Oh, come on! You blew it. You, <laughs> you cheated. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> no one saw. It's okay. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. I'm glad that you did that, actually, because it'll save me some, some of what I probably was going to have to say otherwise. <laughs> First of all, take 10 seconds of relative quiet and imagine in your head how would you interpret that verse. Those who are spiritual are subject to no one else's scrutiny. What does it mean to you right now? Don't tell me, but just think. got an idea? Well, you want to be spiritual. You know that much. This could be used, I mean, I'm thinking this could be used as a pretty good like defense against scrutiny. You can't scrutinize me. I'm spiritual. All right, problem number one. You can't see this, but on Carrie's piece of paper, can you tell me what's going on with the word R on that little piece of paper? Yeah, yeah, the square parentheses. It's in, it's in brackets, right? Which if you are a person who does uh, academic writing or any kind of writing and you want to skip over a section and summarize it, you can put it in brackets, right? And you're not subject to scrutiny. <laughs> it's kind of like being spiritual. Unless your professor goes and reads the part that you skipped over, right? Um, which in this case, uh, let me find it here. Uh, Verse 15, those who are spiritual discern all things, and they are themselves subject to no one else's scrutiny. You see, I skipped a few things there. Be careful that people are not skipping a few things on you when you look at this kind of thing, especially with those little one-snippet, verse-a-day devotional kind of approaches. Now, if you read a verse a day from the Bible using a, a little calendar or something, guess what? You read a lot more Bible than most of the people in this room, and you are to be commended. However, be slightly careful with it. All right. The lesson for this one is you really do have to go back a little earlier in the passage to see what's going on. I'm going to go back to verse 9, which I would love to have on the screen. Um, thank you. Now, verse 9 says, But as it is written, 
Now again, we have a problem here. I'm not going to go there. But just as you say, what is the therefore, therefore, what is the for, for, you have to say, what is the but, but. <laughs> it doesn't really work as well in this case. That being said, it is one of those, uh, what is that? Is that a, conjug a conjunction? Thank you. It, what is the but, a but? I have a new thing to say now. Thank you so much. Wow, Tim. I am in your debt. <laughs> okay, I'm going to read this real quick. I want you to notice any repeated words. But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit... Searches everything, even the depths of God. For what human being knows what is truly human, except the human spirit that is within. So also no one comprehends what is truly God's, except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual, those who are unspiritual do not receive the gifts of God's spirit. For, do you get what I'm doing here? Can I stop now? So when you get to verse, what is it, 15, those who are spiritual are subject to no one else's scrutiny. If you just read that one verse, you don't know that the word spirit and the word spiritual appear like, how many times was that? Was it 10? It was probably pretty close to 10 in just the part that I read. And there might have been some before we got to the, the one that's in verse 15 there. Right? The whole passage is about the Spirit. So you can't really, you really can't just say something about being spiritual without connecting it to that stuff that's going on. Right? So what's a word that can mean whatever you want it to mean? <laughs> What do you call a word that can mean whatever you want it to mean? I don't know if there's a name for that. But if, what's that? Bleep. Bleep. <laughs> yeah, well, not that word, Dan. Um, <clears throat> um, yeah, well, I mean, I'm not trying to be clever here. I think we need a word for one of those words that you can make it mean whatever you want it to mean. Because once you do that, you can completely interpret the passage however you want. And then you can use it to control and dominate other people. And all they can do is say, dang, you're really spiritual. All right. Um, last one, Matthew 5.18. Who has Matthew 5.18? I think it's Frankie. Can you bring the microphone over to her? Who has it? I've lost track. Oh, Carrie has it. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Thank you so much. And you can bring me the microphone now because that was the last one. And thank you for emphasizing that first word. Did you all notice that she did that? What is the for for? Well, we're not going to find out, but you, you know that you should find out, right? If you had to sum up the, sum up the message of this verse just this verse, with one word, what might you choose? I would choose legalism. If you had just this verse for your entire understanding of the gospel, you might be tempted to go to a pretty legalistic place. After all, he does say, not one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law 
Um, did, you, did you notice, by the way, where is this in relation to one of the other verses that we read today? This is 518. It's before, right? So the other one was 520. So this is a couple verses before the one that we read earlier. So we want to maybe think about how to connect those two together. That'd be one thing. And one thing we didn't talk about when we read that one is what comes after. And guess what? It's not even in the passage that the lectionary assigns us today. We don't get to it until next week. But what Jesus says in the first verse of next week's gospel reading You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council, and etc. This is where Jesus starts that wonderful, challenging, sometimes confusing pattern of saying, you have heard A, B, and C from long ago, but I say to you X, Y, and Z. I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, he says. And one of the ways he does that is by taking the common understanding and sometimes flipping it on its head, sometimes uh, changing the meeting entirely, and very often seemingly making it a lot more difficult to attain the level of righteousness as defined by that particular law. It's, it's, you know, it's a rhetorical question again, but is it harder not to murder someone or not to call them a fool? <laughs> right. Well, it might depend on the person, but you know what I'm getting at. Jesus seems to be raising the bar there. And so it's not enough to say, if you want to preach legalism, for example, that every stroke of every letter of the law is in place in the same way that it's always been in place. You have to do more work than that. And by the way, what does the word law mean? Again, key words are important. We have to find out what the word law means. Now, does it mean like a law that we have on the books in our society that you have to follow or you'll go to jail? Well, yes and no. It kind of means that, but also the law is the entire writing, at least of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, of the Hebrew Bible. And sometimes it's used to mean the entirety of the Hebrew Bible. And so, um, does that hit a little different? If you're thinking about a collection of writings rather than uh, a list of ordinances, well, I think it hits a little different. That's part of the work that you would have to do with that. So, I am fresh out of time here. I have a lot more to say. Let me just do this. What, what do you do when you read just four passages of the Bible that the lectionary gave us today, and you get to choose from among the prosperity gospel, uh, retribution theology, stringent legalism, social justice, spiritual signs and wonders, and probably some other things I didn't even get to touch on, all in one week's worth of texts. What are you supposed to do with that? It's almost as if it's almost as if you could come to the Bible with a particular idea or viewpoint already in mind and then decide only to focus on the sections, chapters, verses, or even short phrases that support that idea and then claim that you are spiritual and not subject 
to what? Scrutiny. Or, in the much more eloquent words of um, Rachel Held Evans, may she rest in peace, if you're looking for verses with which to support slavery, you will find them. If you're looking for verses with which to abolish slavery, you will find them. If you're looking for verses with which to oppress women, you will find them. If you are looking for verses with which to liberate or honor women, you will find them. If you are looking for reasons to wage war, you will find them. If you are looking for reasons to promote peace, you will find them. If you are looking for an outdated, irrelevant, ancient text, you will find it. If you are looking for truth, believe me, you will find it. This is why there are times when the most instructive question to bring to the text is not, what does it say, but what am I looking for? I suspect Jesus knew this when he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. If you want to do violence in this world, you will always find the weapons. If you want to heal, you will always find the balm. Boy, we miss her voice, don't we? Um, this is a good time for me to plug Artisan's Lenten Read, which is the last book that's published under Rachel Held Evans's name. Uh, it was published after her death. Uh, using a manuscript that she had underway, which was finished by her friend and fellow wonderful writer, Jeff Chu. This book is going to be our guide through the season of Lent this year, starting on February 26th. Um, we're not going to read every bit of it, but there's six Sundays in Lent, and so we're going to read six different chapters of it together as a community. I'll be talking about it in the sermons on Sundays. We'll be having groups... Um, middle of the week, and the reason I'm doing this is because I printed off the sign-up sheet on which you were to tell us which days of the week work for you and whether you want to be in person or on Zoom, and I failed to bring it out here and put it on clipboards to pass around. Um, I think it might be on the printer, Dell. We won't pass it in the room, but maybe we'll have it um, in the lobby for you when you leave, because it is important for us to know so that we can structure the discussion groups the best way. Um, copies of the book are available for $15. You can pay with cash or check if you just put the money in the box and indicate who you are and what it's for. You can do that. Or you can pay online, um, artisanchurch.com slash book. $15 is cheaper than Amazon's price and in the lobby is faster than Amazon Prime. So I would encourage you <laughs> to get it taken care of today. That's the plug for that. Look, this is, uh, this is what I had still left that I wanted to talk to you about. It's 20 past um, 11. <laughs> I've almost said 10. Um, I have this whole fairly well laid out, I think, little guide for how to approach a text of Scripture when you want to study it. If you'd like a copy of it, you can come, and bring it, come up and get it from me. Um, it, it might be slightly nerdy, but then I might be too. And it's something that I've used when I've taught Bible studies before, and I've found it to be really useful and fruitful, and it has a list of resources and things like that. Because I don't want to leave you with just like, yeah, it's pretty hard. You pretty much can't know what any of it means. <laughs> just make it say whatever you want, and good luck. <laughs> but unfortunately, that's apparently what I'm leaving you with. <laughs> Except to say, this is a journey that we're on together and I'm happy to be traveling this road with you. And um, to the extent that I can be helpful to you in understanding the Bible, it's my great, deep honor. And come and find me, um, and, and you'll get other chances. And we'll get other chances. The thing that's most important that I actually want to leave you with instead of that jokey thing is that 
you don't have to be super smart. You don't have to have knowledge that's really impressive or any at all. What you should have when you go to read the Bible is some humility and openness to the Spirit of God. And trust that God's love for you is all-encompassing. Because if you come to the text with humility and openness and trust in God's love, you, you, you'd have to work really hard to go too far astray. And the object is not to be right or even to avoid being wrong, but rather to be formed and shaped by God's love. And I think that can happen in the scriptures. I know it can. I believe it can. So I encourage you to keep on trying, especially those of you who've had trouble with it and who find it sort of adversarial to this day. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.